Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 24, 25, and 26. John chapter 12. When I was in uh, Mongolia, I, I advised, that may be the, a little bit strong, a generous word, but I advised on a, on a, on a Bible translation. And part of my uh, advisory capacity, part of what I did was I would talk to the Mongolians as they were reading uh, this Mongolian translation of the Bible, both the translation we're currently using, because we did have one we were using, and the translation that my friends were working on, and I would, we'd compare things and talk about things and how it could be said better in Mongolian. And we came to this passage, uh, my grammar teacher, uh, my tutor, she tutored me in a lot of ways, but to particularly helped me understand the Mongolian grammar. And she was looking at this passage with me in Mongolian. And uh, let me read it to you in English. John 12, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die... It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That phrase, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. She kept saying, you know, I don't see how, why we shouldn't translate this word die. That, that's going to confuse people because we're not asking them to commit suicide. And I agreed with that. No, we're not. You know, they don't need to, to, to take their own life. But she said, uh, maybe there's a better word. So went back to the Greek and uh, took a look, asked my friend who had a lot more Greek experience than I did about it. And uh, we just we looked at the Greek and the Greek word means to cease to have vital functions to die. Well, I, you really can't get around it. I mean, that's, that's what the word means, to die. So, you know, what, what, is this, what is this passage asking us to do? When it says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it, dieth, it abideth alone. But if it die, it beareth much fruit. How is it that we die to self? I quoted or mentioned 1 Corinthians 15.30 this morning. Paul said, I die daily. So what is he saying he does? What is it that when he says, I die daily, what is he talking about? That's what we want to look tonight at. What does it mean to die to self? What does it mean to die to self? When the Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. What does it mean to die to self? Let's uh, pick that up here after a word of prayer. Father, again, we lift up to you this fellow who was involved in the accident that, the, that Henry and Dora witnessed and we want to see him saved or if he is a Christian we want to see his life dramatically changed for the better by this accident. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the land of Israel. We pray for the Israelis and we certainly pray for the Palestinians also who are caught in the middle of a fight and um, it's a war and it's ugly and um, we pray for protection for those folks. And we pray for a greater sense of our own part in this world. What's wrong with the world is sin. And what can we do in our lives to overcome sin? And how can we help others to overcome the sin in their life? As we consider this passage uh, tonight, we pray for Harley too. Um, you know his physical condition and you know his spiritual condition. 
And his family and I share the common concern that he's not given a clear testimony of faith in Christ. Now, perhaps, Lord, you know his heart, and, and he is your child. If so, we, we ask that there be a clear testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And if he is not your child, then we pray that before uh, it's too late, he would come to realize his sinfulness and his need for Jesus Christ. Use his wife, use this pastor in his area that has reached out to him and others to bring the gospel to him. Father, we ask for your help in understanding this passage tonight. Open our eyes to truth and then open our eyes to where we are and uh, where we can die to self rather than live selfishly. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dying to self. What does it mean to die to self? First uh, uh, Corinthians 1530. I said 31. I said 30. It's 31. 1531. Paul says, I die daily. Well, let's consider that you can either die to self, or if you're not dead to self, then you are going to live selfishly. And when we don't die to self, then we live selfishly. And how many selfish decisions do we make in the moment that we regret later because we're not dead to self? How many harsh words do we say, and then by the next day, we wish we could take those words back because we're not dead to self? How many sinful pleasures do we indulge in? In the moment, thinking this is great, I enjoy this, I like this, this pleases me. But later, those same decisions cause us pain because we're living to self rather than dying to self. How many people do we hurt with our actions, with our attitudes, with our arguments because we refuse to die to self? We want to live selfishly. How many fights do we start when we live to self? Ultimately, and I, I, I've already, I would already framed this message when, this, when war broke out yesterday, but ultimately the, the problem, the reason there is no peace in the Middle East is because men are selfish. And we want our way, even if that means killing and maiming and torturing other people. How many times do we forfeit future rewards, eternal rewards, because we refuse to die to self. That's what we want to talk about tonight. What does it mean to die to self? But let's start with this question. Why is dying to self necessary? Why is it that we're required to die to self? Well, first of all, let me ask this rhetorical question. I don't need an answer, but can a Christian, is it possible for a Christian to live the Christian life without dying to self? And the answer is no. If I want to live the life that God calls me to live, if I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, if I'm truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, if I want to order my life according to the Bible, then I must die to self. Dying to self is necessary to be filled with the Spirit. If I am full of self, there's no room for the Holy Spirit, is there? So dying to self is necessary to be filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to empty yourself of self. Now that's really hard for us uh, because we see ourselves as Americans, you know, we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Think about what that actually means. But I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I can do it. I'm good enough. But none of us are good enough. We're full of ourselves because and often, this is the case, because we're members of a conservative church and we're trying to live righteously. But that's not good enough. 
Sometimes we're full of ourselves because we've won victories in the past. We look back at the past. Oh, look how God, what he did here. And, and I overcame this and he's given me victory here. And I've gotten rid of that addiction and praise the Lord for his goodness in the past. But what God has done in the past doesn't mean that I'm dead to self today. Dying to self is, is required because you and I cannot make ourselves more holy. It requires God's help. And I mentioned this morning, often the biggest reason we don't have God's help is because, frankly, we don't want it. We want to do it ourselves. Now, imagine, imagine if you could sanctify yourself, if you could uh, do the, the right thing and somehow do it in your own strength. There would be two possibilities. Number one, you would succeed in your own strength. And then how would you feel? Oh, look at me. I can live the Christian life. And maybe you've met people like this. You know, they want to tell you about how humble they are. And you just sort of smile. You, you don't get it, do you? Right? They want to tell you how righteous they are. Oh, I don't need, I don't need God's help. I can do this. I've, I've learned this method of whatever. Listen, methods are good. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in building habits of righteousness and understanding what choices God wants you to make and how to make those choices. But ultimately, we all need the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we need the grace of God. Now, if you say, this sounds a lot like what you preached this morning, it's intentional. It's purposeful. They go together. We have to die to self because the second possibility is we try to live righteously on our own and we fail. And when we fail to live righteously on our own, which is what's going to happen, we just don't realize it. Guess who gets the blame? God does. You've met people. I've met people. I tried Christianity. It didn't work. I talked to God, I prayed, and I asked for his help, and he didn't answer. What are they saying? God's at fault. I tried. I did my best. God, he, he failed me. God never fails anyone. Amen. Now, there are times when you try, and I try, and I fail. It's not God's fault. We need God's grace. Dying to self is required because I can't live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. Let's take one example. Um, dying to self is required because I cannot control my tongue. Do you remember what James 3.8 says? I'm going to read it to you. James 3.8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Uh, you say, well, we're all in trouble. If we can't tame the tongue, we're going to just be... Constantly like venomous snakes biting each other and injecting that venomous poison into each other. That's true unless we have the Holy Spirit. And we have God's help that enables us because God can control my tongue. I can't. So if you want God to control your tongue, you're going to need to die to self. You're going to, you, you can't. You can't be thinking, now, what do I want out of this situation? What will make me happy? Uh, what is it that I need here? What you've got to be thinking is, how can I glorify God in this conversation? Even if that means some of what I want, some of what would make me feel good, gets ignored. That's what it means to die to self. Dying to self means that I prioritize the needs of others above my own needs. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see a couple of verses with me in Philippians chapter 2. Dying to self means that I prioritize the needs of others above my own needs. 
That's what dying to self requires, that I prioritize the needs of others above my own needs. Now, we're told in American society that we've got to look out for ourselves. Uh, We need me time. We need self-care. And uh, this goes directly against what the Bible teaches us, that we are to look upon the needs of others. Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Philippians 2, 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Dying to self means that I prioritize the needs of others above my own needs. Now, I don't want you to take this to an extreme and think that you have to deny yourself everything in order to give others anything that they want. That's not what the Bible is teaching us here. There is a balance. There is an understanding that God does expect me to take care of myself so I can meet the needs of others. Let me give you an obvious example. I think sleep is good. I do. I believe that I function better as a father and as a husband and as a son and as a pastor and as an American citizen. And I certainly function a lot better as a driver when I get enough sleep. So actually, you know, when I think at night, okay, it's time for, you know, I look at my watch and I have a bedtime. I'm, I'm, by the way, you young people that your parents tell you when to go to bed, you know you're old when you set your own bedtime. <laughs> look at my watch. Hey, it's, I need to go to sleep now. So I can get up in the morning rested so that when I'm driving, I'm not blurry-eyed and, and, you know, crossing over the line into the other guy's lane. So I'm not saying that you deny your, you know, you don't eat. So you can send your food to Africa. No, God expects you to, to meet those needs that you have so that you can... Give to others so you can live for others. The second misunderstanding a lot of people have is they think that if I am called to deny myself and to prioritize the needs of others above my own needs, they can ask me for anything and I should give it to them. They'll say that. Well, pastor, you told me you've got to prioritize the needs of others. And what I need is, yes, but I'm not called to meet the needs of people as they perceive them. I'm called to meet the needs of others as God sees them. So if somebody were to say to me, hey, uh, can you go buy me some alcohol? I'd say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you don't really care about my needs. Yeah, I do care about your needs. That's why I'm not buying it. I might have mentioned before I had a, a friend in Mongolia, and God bless him. He was doing his best. He was. And so he told me as he initially arrived in Mongolia, he said, if somebody asks me for money, I'm going to give it to them. That's just going to be my baseline response. If somebody asks me for money, I'm going to give it to him. The Mongolians are poor and uh, they need things. And so I'm going to help these people by giving them the money they asked me for. I said to my friend who is a Christian, I said, I don't think that's the best course of action. There may be a real need you can meet and you should try to meet that. But just because somebody asked you for money, I don't think you should give it. Nope. That's what God's called me to do. I said, great. I don't know how long gone by, six, eight months. He went to some event And this event was for what we call middle-class Mongolians. These weren't poor people that were meeting at this event. It was for for artists and paintings. I don't remember all the details, but he was there. He was telling me this story later. And one of his friends, his Mongolian friends, walked up to him and said, basically, do you have $20? The equivalent of about $20. My friend, okay, remember, his his baseline is, somebody asked me for money, I'm going to give it to them. So he reaches into his pocket, he pulls out the equivalent of Mongolian money, gives it to his friend. His friend leaves the event. About... 15, 20 minutes later, here comes his friend 
with a couple of cases of alcohol. My friend came back to me and said, you know, I'm not sure that's the best idea just to give money to people because they asked for it. I said, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. Uh, if, as, as, uh, as we worked with the Mongolians, we learned that it was often better to ascertain, to find out what the need was. Do they need food? We can do that. Sometimes they needed coal. They would burn coal in their little uh, uh, stove there, in their, in their gear, their circular tent, in order to heat in the winter. And so we'd have a truckload of coal sometimes delivered to a person's house. Uh, they needed food, uh, not food, uh, clothes. They needed a, a, some piece of furniture. We try to provide for specific needs without just giving out money. So here's my point. Prioritizing the needs of others doesn't mean just because they ask you for it, you must do it. Find out what their needs really are and try to meet needs that way. But dying to self means that I prioritize the needs of others before my own needs. Uh, follow along later in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 19. 20 and 21 with me. Philippians 2.19 says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to, to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may also, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. He's saying Paul doesn't care about what's happening to him as much as he cares about what's happening to you, and he wants to make sure that what's happening to you brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So when we talk about meeting other people's needs, I'm not meaning you just go down the street and everybody who asks you for money, you put a $20 bill in their hand. I don't think that's the best course of action. I'm certainly not talking about giving or providing some evil to somebody just because they asked for it. But to die to self means that I live to please others rather than living to please myself. I live to please others. Not, not please others to make them happy. Not that. Live to make their lives in accordance with God's word. I was, um, I turned off my speaker, didn't I, Caleb? Oh, it's on, okay. Um, I was uh, uh, at a church at a missions conference with a pastor. His name is Pastor Adams. He pastors at a church in the Portland area. And the missions conference speaker had known Pastor Adams as a, a college student. So he had a story about how Pastor Adams one day showed up for church without any shoes on. He had a suit, he had a jacket, I took my jacket, he had a jacket, he had a tie, he had dress pants, and he was barefooted. And the pastor, who is now telling the story 20, 30 years later, said, I looked down the aisle, it'd be like AJ there, barefooted, you know, he's a I noticed he had no shoes or socks on. And after the service, he said, I, you know, headed for this guy. He said to, his name was Rick, Rick Adams. He said, where are your shoes? I don't want you to come to this church without any shoes. And this was a college student. He wasn't a pastor at the time. He became a pastor later. He said, uh, well, I went by a person's house to pick the children up for church. And the lady said, um, I'd love to send my kids to church, but we don't have money for church shoes. They had shoes, but not church shoes. She said, uh, would you be willing to go to church without any shoes if I sent my kids with you? He said, I'd go to church without shoes if you'll send your kids. So the next Sunday morning, went by our house, took off his shoes and socks, probably gave them to her, put the kids in his vehicle and took them to church. That's dying to self. Now, it was Florida frankly. <laughs> so you can get away with that. It wasn't Michigan. 
in the winter. But here's my point. He's more concerned about how he can minister to that family than how he looks when he comes to church. Now, I think we should dress sharp when we come to church. Don't misunderstand me. But the point is not to make myself look good. It's to honor God and to show my um, sincere awe and fear of the Lord when I come to church. That's why we dress the way we do. And if I can get more people to church coming barefoot, I'll gladly come barefoot. I just know if I came barefoot to church, more people would leave. (laughs) Dying to self is living to please others. Dying to self also means that others may be able to do things that you know God tells you you can't do. If your whole goal in life is to see how close you can get to the line of sin without going over. I call this the price is right model of Christianity. How close can I get to the line without going over? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna mess up your life. I, don't worry about what other Christians are doing. I'm, I'm glad when I, was, when I was younger, I decided I'm not going to worry about what other Christians, whatever they call, they call themselves, I'm not going to worry about what they're doing. I want to know, God, what do you want me to do? I encourage you to think that way. So if, if somebody comes to me and says, well, pastor, you realize so-and-so, they're a Christian and they do such and such. Okay. I mean, I don't have to answer for them, do I? I have to answer for me. And when I die to self, I'm not worried about what I can get away with. I'm not worried if I can be like those people. That's not the issue. The issue is between me and God. What is God calling me to do? And to die to self means that sometimes I'm just not going to participate in some things. I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to go some places. Um, Dying to self means that we should give our friends to God. I have found that for many of us, adults, teens, children, everybody in between, our friends can become more important than God. And keeping them happy. I just said, live to please others. Live to help others. And so we think, well, I've got to keep my friends happy. Not if your friends are leading you away from God. If you've got friends in your life, They're encouraging you to to do evil, to watch evil, to listen to evil, to participate in evil. They're trying to entice you to sin. You just need to tell God, I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to hang out with those friends. Can we give our friends to God? But here's the key. If you don't get anything else, this is what I want you to remember. Dying to self is to live to God. When we die to self, we say no to our flesh, no to what we want, no to our desires, no to our ambitions, no to what makes me happy so I can say yes to what God's calling me to do. That's what dying to self ultimately is. No to self so that I can say yes to God. And you know what? When we are truly in this place where we are dead to self and we are alive to God, it doesn't matter if anyone else recognizes it or not. It doesn't matter to us if people say, oh, look at that. Oh, he's a really good Christian. Because all that is just a desire to be well-known, a desire to be well-liked, a desire to be famous. That's all just the self-rising up, isn't it? I came across a story a couple months ago about uh, Florida Air Flight 90 in 1982. Now, some of you are old enough, you probably remember this story better than I do. But in 1982, it was a January day, a blizzard was headed for Washington, D.C., and so 
many of the people who, who worked in Washington, D.C. had left work early to try to get home before, um, before the snow really hit. It was snowing. There was some ice already. They had already closed the National Airport the previous day, and they had opened it up briefly on the day that I'm discussing so that some of the flights could take off. And, of course, whenever there's a delay like that, there's planes coming and going. They're trying to get people in and out. And uh, Florida, Air Florida Flight 90 uh, should not have taken off. In, in retrospect, as I looked at it, there was ice on the wings when the plane took off. But the captain, who did not have much experience flying in cold weather, he's flying for Florida Air, after all. Um, he said, nope, we're going to just take off. We, we just need to get out of this airport and get back to Florida. So he took off. Well, he did only got up about 300 feet when the ice on his wings prevented him from gaining any more lift. And he crashed into a bridge. Four people died on that bridge. And then the plane went into the, the, the pieces of the plane went into the Potomac River. And uh, most of the people were killed instantly. But there were uh, six people who were there right at the tail part of the plane who were in the water. They could see them from the bridge. They could see these people in the water. Several people, one, one fella, he actually jumped into the water. He, he, he decided, I'm going to get um, out there. And I'm going to help these people. Well, there was ice in the water, but the water wasn't, it wasn't iced over. So it was very hard. The water was 34 degrees, they say. This fella was named Roger Olean. And he jumped into the water trying to swim out to them to bring them to shore, but he couldn't even get out there. The Coast Guard cutter, the tug Capstan was the name of the tug, was already miles and miles downriver helping with another rescue. So a helicopter was called in, and a helicopter took off, but the wreckage was right next to that bridge. So I saw a recorded footage, crews of... of uh, uh, from the local station had gotten there by the time the helicopter did. The helicopter had to come down right next to this bridge and almost get in the water in order to save people. The pilot was a man named Donald Usher and the paramedic on board, his name was Melvin Windsor. The first person that they pulled out of the water was Bert Hamilton. The helicopter dropped a line down to uh, Hamilton and he grabbed onto it and they pulled him through the water and up to the shore where there were paramedics and other rescuers. They pulled, pulled him up. By, about th by this time, the other five people had been in the water for about 20 minutes. And again, the water's 34 degrees. They recognized that they had to get these people out of the water quickly. So the helicopter flew over, dropped down a line, and there was a man there in the water who took that line and he passed it to Kelly Duncan. She was the only flight attendant, uh, the only uh, staff, the only person with the airline who survived. She was a flight attendant. And the helicopter pulled her to safety. The helicopter went out a third time. They dropped the line again. Again, the man in the water, he passed the line to a man named Joe Stiley. Joe Stiley was holding on to a lady. Her name was Priscilla Torado. She had been blinded in the, in, the, in the wreck, so she couldn't see. And then they dropped a second line that went to a, a lady named Nikki Felch, and the helicopter started to pull these three people through the water. Well, somehow, Stiley lost a hold of the lady he had. Felch dropped her line. And so the helicopter literally went down into the water. The, the skids of the helicopter were in the water. The bridge is right here. The skids of the helicopter are in the water. And the paramedic got out on the skids and lifted the lady up into the helicopter to get her to safety. Another man, his name was Lenny Skutnik. 
And he was just a, a staffer at the Congressional Budget Office. And he saw the other lady in the water, Toronto, and he took off of his coat, he took off, of his, took off his boots, and he jumped in the water and swam out because she was closer than she had been before, and he pulled her to safety. But by the time that helicopter returned, that sixth man was gone. Here's the Washington Post article about him, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. He was about 50 years old, one of half a dozen survivors clinging to the twisted wreckage, bobbing in the icy Potomac when the first helicopter arrived. To the helicopter's two-man crew, he seemed the most alert. Life vests were dropped, then a flotation device. The man passed them to the others. On two occasions, the crew recalled last night, he handed away a lifeline from the hovering machine that could have dragged him to safety. The helicopter crew who rescued five people, the only persons who survived from the jetliner, lifted a woman to the riverbank, then dragged three more persons across the ice to safety. Then the lifeline saved a woman who was trying to swim away from the sinking wreckage. And then the helicopter pilot, Donald Usher, returned to the scene, but the man was gone. Now what stood out to me about this report from the Washington Post is that this man was not even named in the article. At the time, nobody knew who he was. He was just the man in the water, passing that rope of safety to the people next to him. And I thought to myself, if I were in, an, in the icy river and I had been dropped a line from a helicopter, would I have enough concern for the lives of others to pass that rope to the next person? If they dropped me a flotation device, would I just casually pass that to the next person? I, I'm sure, I, actually I don't know what he was thinking, but you know, we have in our minds, well, I'll be saved. Eventually they'll come back for me. By the time they got back to him, he had already disappeared. Another person, as I was researching this article, another person pointed out, you know what, today people wouldn't be jumping in the water. We'd be getting out our cell phones to record the tragedy. Would you be willing to be the man in the water? I think it's easy, easier to be the man in the water at the moment in the middle of a tragedy than it is to daily die to self. Because if I want to be the man in the water, if you want to be the woman in the water, you know what it means? It means getting up early in the morning to pray when you really want to sleep in a little bit longer. Or maybe for some of you, you pray in the evenings before you go to bed. And it means staying awake, staying alert a little bit longer to take time to pray. To be the man in the water means that I'm going to pray for others like I would want them to pray for me if I was in their situation. Not just saying, you know, bless Harley and, and bless my wife and Bless the deacons, but praying for people by name, for specific things that they need. If I want to be the man in the water, if I want to die to self, it means serving my family instead of wondering what's best for me. Uh, in Mongolia, I, I caught wind of a husband who was getting up in the morning to build the fire before his family got up. Now understand, morning time in Mongolia, it could be 40 below could be 30 below. Now, it won't be 30 below in the house. <laughs> they will have let the fire burn through the night, and if they got the right kind of coal, there'll still be a little fire by the morning. But it's probably literally 35 or 40 degrees. It's just above freezing in the house. 
And it's the, it, in Mongolia, in Mongolia, it's expected that it's the woman's job to get up and start the fire. Why? Because we men, we, we're lazy. Let the wife start the fire. I don't, it's not my job. And I realized when I heard through the grapevine, he didn't tell me about it, but I heard through the grapevine that one of the men in my church was getting up to start the fire in the morning or get it stoked up again in the morning so that his wife could get up to a home that was 55 or 60 degrees instead of 35 or 40. I said, that is dying to self. That's what dying to self looks like. Now, again, he, it's, it's Mongolia. If he would have said, hey, it's my wife's duty to build the fire, he would have been perfectly right. But he's more concerned about serving his family instead of staying in a warm bed until his wife gets the fire started. If I'm willing to be the man in the water, if I'm willing to die to self, it means passing out a track when the person that I'm handing it to may not want to take one. It means opening my mouth and sharing the gospel when the person that I'm talking to doesn't want to hear it. That's what being the man in the water looks like. It's not passing the rope to the next person. We'll probably none of us will ever be in that place because of God's protection and God's grace. We'll never be there. But every day we have a decision whether we're going to die to self or whether we're going to live for self. And I want to encourage you to die to self. Ezekiel 22.30 says this, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. And Isaiah 59, verse 16 says, And God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God wondered that there wasn't anyone even praying for God to save and to protect. I wonder what the story of Sodom and Gomorrah would have been like had Abraham not prayed for just 10 righteous people for God to protect the city. Would God have sent his two angels down there to rescue Lot and his two daughters? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say what would have happened. It doesn't work in, 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 in counterfactuals. But here's Abraham. He sees a city, wicked, wicked city, Sodom. And he intercedes for the city and he asks God, how about if there's 50 righteous people? Will you spare the city? If there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, uh, God, please be patient with me. How about if there's only 10 people? Would you and I intercede for Sodom? Are we interceding for the United States? Are we interceding for Vacaville? When's the last time you've prayed for an elected official by name? Do you realize our representative here, state representative here, Lori Wilson, um, she just went through a bout with cancer. You could have prayed for that. Maybe some of you did. Lori Wilson is, is not a friend. And if you know her politics, she's not a friend. But God calls us to pray for our enemies, doesn't he? I was walking through the halls of the Capitol with um, uh, Brandon Campbell. Pastor Campbell goes to the Capitol most weeks when they're in session. And so I agreed that I would go with him at least once a month just to be uh, a, a friend, right? Because two people are better than one. So I drive down there. He does a lot of the talking. I'm walking through the Capitol. And we had made the acquaintance of some of the staff members of Lori Wilson. And uh, I was just doing my business when Lori Wilson saw me and she said, hey, I, I know one of the staffers had talked to her, but she said, hey, you've been looking for me. 
I said, yeah, I have. We met, we talked for just a brief minute. She was on her way somewhere else. I said, I've been praying for you. And I can say that honestly because I pray for Lori Wilson. Our state senator, Bill Dodd, graduated from Chico State. I'm still trying to see if he went there when you guys were there. Chico State, I pray for him. Do you know who our federal representative is in the House of Representatives? It used to be Garamendi. They redistrict us. Now we're in Mike Thompson's district. Pray for Mike Thompson. We have two senators. One of them is just a brand new senator. In fact, she's never held elected office. In fact, she still hasn't been elected to office. But we can pray for her. We can pray for other senators. We can pray for our governor. You do realize he vetoed the bill. He vetoed a bill that would have instructed judges in California to give strong preference to the affirming parent over the non-affirming parent in custody disputes. If you don't know what all that means, you come see me later. I sort of wonder, maybe some of you are praying for Gavin Newsom. Are we praying for our vice president? Are we praying for our president? It says, God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Who are you interceding for? Maybe it's not government. Maybe there's a family member. Is there a family member you're interceding for? Is there a friend? Is there a coworker? And maybe the coworker hates you. Maybe the coworker is mean to you. Those are the ones we can pray for. Be the man in the water. Die to self. Quit thinking of only yourself and say, I'm going to live for others. And most of all, I'm going to live for God. Father, thank you for the uh, word of God. Thank you for your grace. I, I can't die to self and live for you without your grace. And my sisters and my brothers that are gathered here tonight, none of us can die to self and live for you without your Holy Spirit leading us and your grace enabling us. And Lord, we live in a society that is so selfish. We're so quick to look out for what is our best interest and what's good for us and not care about others. And we ask you to forgive us when that's our attitude. And it's easy, Father, when everyone else around us is living like that, it's easy for us to think, well, everyone else is looking out for themselves. I better look out for myself too. Lord, forgive us for that. And teach us what it is to deny ourselves, and pick up our cross, and follow you. What it means to die to self so that we can live for you. We're praying, Father, for our nation. We, we do want to intercede. Put upon us a burden to pray. Put upon us a burden to pass out tracts. Put upon us a burden to speak to others about their eternal destiny. Father, we need your intervention in our, in our lives, in our families. We need your intervention in our church. We need your intervention in our nation. We lift up to you those who represent us, Lori Wilson and Bill Dodd and Mike Thompson. We lift up to you our newest senator and, and Senator Padilla. Uh, Father, we want to see these people saved. We want to see them turn to righteousness. We want to see them have a heart for you. And so we ask for that. We ask for the miracle, Lord. We ask that you would move mountains, that you would do the impossible. Father, burden us to be intercessory prayers, people who pray, who intercede for others around us. Burden us to pray for family members, for co-workers, for neighbors who are headed to destruction. 
unless you intervene in their lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.